Okay, so today we talk about um, teleos from the terms of boldness. Boldness. If teleos is the moving of a person or a people from one stage of maturity to the to another, then it is required that as you move from one stage to the other, that you pick up this thing called boldness because it's grease to your wheels. If teleos is the process of maturity where one goes from one step to the next to the next, just as we show in that image that we have put online, where it's the moving of a caterpillar to a cocoon to a butterfly, boldness is what greases your wheels so that you're able to step from one stage to the other. And the scripture that I want to look at is Matthew eleven fifteen. Matthew eleven fifteen. And these are Jesus' words. And he says, The kingdom of God is advancing forcefully, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God is advancing forcefully, and the violent take it by force. So the kingdom of God advances forcefully in your personal life, in our corporate lives, locally, globally. Be aware of that, eh? because when we think kingdom of God is advancing, we think it's removed from us. It's perhaps the job of someone else, or it's happening in church, or it's happening around the world. But the kingdom of God, as in the rule of God, when you simplify it, why wouldn't the rule of God therefore advance forcefully in your personal lives, in our corporate lives, locally and globally? Why would it not? It must. The rule of God must advance this way. The nature of the kingdom of God is such that it advances forcefully, meaning it's not this lazy, uh, like, evening walk that the kingdom of God is on. It's like a balloon that is pressing. Uh, imagine, a, imagine a glass aquarium, like a, 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 an aquarium, like one of those glass boxes. Imagine a balloon that is being lowered into it. Imagine the balloon full of water, and you can see the balloon beginning to just gather water, and you know that it's only a few more seconds, and it's going to burst forth. We are at that stage where the kingdom of God is heavily, forcefully advancing onto the earth. It's only a matter of time before it bursts forth. What I find sad is that many of us, when, we, when it bursts forth, will not be in a position to have enjoyed the process. Ah, it, it, it just bothers me so much that even in this church, even sitting right now, there can be people who miss out on the waiting for the kingdom to break through. You think it's not possible. What do you think happened when Jesus came and they missed it? You think they weren't good Jews? The Pharisees were the best of the best. They were scholarly. They had spent their times learning under brilliant teachers. They knew the ins and outs of the scriptures. And yet they miss out. And why do they miss out? Because when the kingdom was pressing down, um, it was like, uh, guys, I'm telling you, don't, if you don't participate now, if you stay on the periphery, if you're on the outskirts, you miss out on the most amazing thing that is happening on earth. 
It's wrong. It's wrong. And if it is in my power, I will not allow you to get away with it. So the kingdom of God advances forcefully. But the thing is, only the violent take it by force. And by violent, God doesn't mean aggressive. Violent means assertive, reaching beyond your grasp, pressing in. (laughs) A pursuit that is so passionate that it cannot be stopped. A horse that has wanted to run all its life. A greyhound that has finally been released. Wildebeest in South Africa that are stomping and snorting, waiting for that moment where they can burst forth. That is the kind of violence we are talking about where you take it by force. So ask yourself this question now as you hear me. Are you like that? And if you're not like that, what do you want before that can happen for you? Do you want another sign? What will happen if God gives you that sign? Will you then oblige? What are you waiting for? If it is a sign, don't ask God for it because he's going to give it to you. And then what will happen? Is it a few dollars? Is it a visa? Is it a job? What will happen once he gives it to you? What what will I do next? What am I going to ask for next? Because there's a point where Jesus says, if you still want me to jump off the steeple for you, I will not. He'll do, he'll do, he'll he'll oblige initially because he, if that is what will prove that you need to run after him, so be it. But my question is, are you actually approaching the king and his rule with a violence that this verse is talking about? Where you have decided that you will abandon all sense of balance, all sense of moderation all sense of being careful, all sense of being dignified. This pursuit is undignified. It cannot be done in a way that is dignified. And it has to happen personally, corporately, locally, and globally. So before the Lord releases a new mantle upon you, and many of you over the last, just even the last one week, I've been meeting with some of you and you're at the threshold of a new orbit or a new place you're stepping into in God, in the world. Before the Lord releases a new mantle, he challenges your heart to a place of greater boldness. He challenges your heart to a place of greater boldness. Before God releases a new mantle, he challenges your heart to a place of greater boldness. As in, hey, let me push your heart to a place where you have to express greater boldness because what awaits you in me is so beyond you. Seeing Peter one day standing in the upper room and preaching and 3,000 people being saved, what does Jesus do? He says to Peter, come. And now he stretches or pushes or challenges Peter's heart to step out of the boat and begin to walk on a substance that no human has business walking on. And so he challenges your heart to a place of greater boldness. And when you don't step up, you find yourself caught in the ebb and flow of unfinished battles that God regrets 
that Satan advantages and that you pay a price for. Let me say that again. When God challenges you saying, hey, I know you're at the brink of a new orbit or I know that you've been hungering for this new mantle. I know that you want to step out into greater or more. I know this about you, but I'm going to push or challenge your heart to a place for, of greater boldness. If you don't step up, then what will happen is you will be there and yet not be there and you will fight unfinished battles that will ebb and flow for the next many months when you can actually take hold with force and end things personally, corporately, locally and globally so that you can step forth. But if you don't step forth, I'll give you examples. Then what happens is God begins to regret it saying, man, I called Jacob into this. He's doing this half step. I've challenged his heart but he's responding, then stepping back, responding, stepping back. He finds distractions on the way. He goes, smells the roses. Time goes by. God begins to regret it. Satan advantages it. As in, huh, this could have ruined things for me. But now that he is sufficiently distracted and doing the half step, great. It is to my advantage. And you will end up paying a cost for it because many things that could have come into your grasp now escape. Let's look at some scriptures. 2 Kings 13, 2 Kings 13, 14 to 21. Second Kings 13, 14 to 21. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness with which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha even laid hands. I put that even in myself, because in my mind it was man. He was so telling this guy how to go about it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you make an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now the bands of Moabites used to invite, invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being and as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. What a difference. What a difference. Here is one guy who could have ended Syria's invasions. And he did not because he didn't move into that place where God had him invited into. Guys, I'm telling you, all of us in this room, all of us in this room fall short. We do not go whole hog. We stop short. I stop short. I'm wasting my life when I stop short. 
God is looking for an all or nothing church and he must find it here. First Samuel 15. First Samuel 15. First Samuel 15, nine onwards. Here's another guy who should have finished what he was supposed to finish, but would not. In, in, in the case of a, uh, the king we just read about with the arrows, he didn't because he decided three was enough. And three was quite a lot. Three was more than one and was more than two and three was enough. Do you know how many times you and I do that with God? I hate it. I hate it. It's a habit I hate in myself. But in this case, it was not uh, uh, an enough mentality. It was a different mentality. First Samuel 15. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fattened calves and of the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devote, devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel was upset because, you know why Samuel was upset? Because he had seen the potential in Saul. You know, it is upsetting when you see the potential in someone and they refuse to step into it. One of the coolest things in this church is that God reveals his, uh, uh, his description of your potential early through the prophetic. So you're not even in the dark about it. Reuben, for instance, will be a giant slayer. I was praying for this boy and I started to weep, so I stopped praying because I didn't want to cry in the beginning of the service. This boy, you'll see, if you give him Lego, Lego um, to make, this boy will know the main piece of the Lego. He can either put it and construct something or remove it and the whole thing will collapse. He has the ability to choose that one piece that can either dismantle or bring together. They should let him play, play hockey. His hockey sense in terms of positional hockey will be tremendous. He will know where to stand so that things come to him. This is a boy who you can send ahead of you to make clear the paths of the Lord. That is the kind of person this is. You can send him ahead so that he can use a machete to clear a path so that others can walk after him. That is the kind of boy this is. Why am I using this as an example? Because in our case, in each person sitting here, almost everybody sitting here, has had their potential revealed to them by God himself through the prophetic. And we don't have excuses. Samuel cried because Saul wasn't turning up to be who he was. Samuel was angry with God. But Saul didn't want to. In Saul's case, it was a not following because he had better things to do. He just liked disobedience, like we do. I have no desire to have you feel comfortable in this church if you're not pursuing him. I'm okay with us changing so that we pursue him. But I cannot bear the thought that you will not pursue him and you would find yourself comfortable here. That 
we should not allow. I can't do that myself. But we should do it in a way that people think to themselves, oh, we can't sit here, this is too cranky, or like the heat is too high. It's not a place for healed people. It is a place for uh, people who need healing. But it should be a place where if you think you are healed, you'll feel uncomfortable. First Corinthians 9.26. First Corinthians 9.26. First Corinthians 9.26. And 27. This is Paul talking, eh? And look what he does. He says, I refuse to settle. He says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to myself, to others, I myself should be disqualified. There was this intent of pursuit, eh? That I will not settle. There's something that I have to keep pressing into, and I'll keep doing that. Jesus, actually in Matthew 18, says that, hey, Jacob, if in your following me, if in your pursuit of me, your hand causes you to do evil. He was exaggerating, but he was trying to convey a point. If your hand happens to do evil, cut your hand off. If your eye happens to do evil, cut your eye out. I would rather that you come to me maimed than come to me with your hand or eye intact that is indulging in evil. This is the kind of pursuit we are talking about. Nothing left to chance, nothing left to self-determination. Just this continuous running. Any questions? Guys, all demonic enterprise is by permission. All demonic enterprise is by permission. I've said this before. All demonic enterprise, anything that the demons, anything that the devil does is by permission. First, God's permission. He's in accountable rebellion. He cannot do what he wants. God's permission. Second, my permission. Third, our permission. Satan cannot do what he wants. There are so many things that, you know, it's so brilliant. God has given us the ability to permit and to forbid. There are things that I can permit and forbid in my life and in the uh, sphere of influence that I have charge over. So do you. And God's hope is, Jacob, can I keep having you come to the very edge of your faith? And then when I tell you, step into not presumption, but more faith, and I'll challenge your heart so that you take the risk off and have the boldness to step into areas that you haven't gone into. You think this stage is what I've given you permission over. When I tell you to step here, this entire place now becomes your permission. And it keeps increasing. All demonic enterprises by permission. Are you sure the camera's not shooting over my head right now? Okay. All demonic enterprises by permission. I want to get to a place as a church where God will be surprised at how much he can trust us with. One of the questions I want to ask next week in a teaching is can God commit himself to you? It's a piercing question. It's a painful question. Because, you know why it is painful? Because I'm scared that the answer that I give personally may be no. 
Can God commit himself to you, Jacob? Can he commit himself to you saying, Jacob, if I give you the favor, if I give you permission, if I give you uh, a scepter, if I give you my right to do things, can I commit to you and can I trust that you will do it correctly, tethered to my nature? Can I commit myself to you? I'll ask this question next week, but it is bothersome. I'm hoping by next week I'll have it sorted out so I can preach it. I want us to get to a point where God will be surprised at how much permission he can give this church to affect events around the globe. And it begins with personal boldness, then goes into corporate boldness, then locally and globally. And why connected to boldness? Because it allows us to keep stepping forward, keep stepping forward. And as we do, permission is granted to affect the earth. They will say of Acts 29, please don't think this is preaching. I hate this kind of rah-rah preaching. Uh, they will say of Acts 29, those troublers have come here again. Those ones that trouble that city, those that trouble that city have come here again. They will say of Acts 29, and I mean this in all earnestness, Jesus we know, Acts 29 we know, but who are you? It must become a standard. I'm not talking about these many people. I'm talking about whoever we touch. That on the earth will rise a people amongst whom God finds himself very comfortable, very committed to, and easily usable. Why not? I'm inviting us. This is really not doable by Jacob. Definitely not. I'm inviting us to step and become these kind of people, man. And for that, there is no holding back. There is only a full committing to. Guys, if you want to define boldness, boldness is courage in action. Boldness is courage in action by the power of the Spirit. So it's courage in action by the power of the Spirit because of a deep conviction and an urgency that has you pay any cost even when there are threats. That's the definition of boldness, and that's why it is critical to advancing the kingdom, because the kingdom is definitely advancing forcefully, but only those that take it by force or violently grasp it are able to participate in it. See, guys, you must understand, this is not something that you can shape and puppeteer because you are a fine Christian. There is a way the kingdom works, and the kingdom works like this. It comes forcefully. If you and I cannot grasp it violently, we will not participate in it. You will enter the kingdom, but you will not participate in it. Strange, eh? You enter a theater, but you don't see the movie. You're given a ticket to enter the theater. It's paid for, but you don't see the movie. Uh, boldness is courage in action 
by the power of the Spirit, because this is not the kind of courage you need to, um, um, for, for normal earthly things like, this is courage in action by the power of the Spirit, caused by a deep conviction in your heart and an urgency that then causes you to pay any cost even in the face of threats. So you see this in Daniel 3, 18, 17 and 18. And the boys are being going to be thrown into the fire and they say, Oh king, uh, we just want you to know that our God is going to save us. And by the way, if he doesn't save us, we just want you to know that we're still not bowing. Or you go to Esther 4, verse 16, and Esther says there, All right, guys, start praying. Because usually if you go before the king and he isn't stretching out the scepter, you usually have your head chopped off and he hasn't called me for a month. But I'm going ahead. You guys start praying. Courage in action, deep conviction. Urgency. Urgency. You cannot have the kingdom at your time. The rule of God is not your mother-in-law's spices kept on the third shelf that you use when you make your favorite goulash. This is essential to living. It's like water. You don't drink it, you die. I don't know why the mother's mother... I think my mother's coming, so mother-in-law spices and all that stuff got mixed up. Sorry, I never go down there. I don't know. Esther 4.16, and she asks people to pray, and she says, start praying, because I'm going before the king. And if I lose my head, so be it, but I'm going. This is, this is what it looks like. Or Acts chapter 9, verse 13 to 17, I can't imagine what the guy was feeling, where God says to uh, Ananias, hey, Ananias, I want you to go. There's this guy called Paul. Yeah, Lord, I know about him. I've heard about him. He's got this letter saying he's coming to arrest guys like me and throw us in prison and kill us. Yeah, I want you to go to him. It's courage in action brought about by the Holy Spirit because of a deep conviction that causes an urgency in you to now begin to pay any cost, even in the uh, event of threats. Guys, Make sure that if you're looking, and I'm um, not talking about people who are checking scriptures, but if you're on your phone and you're looking at stuff other than scriptures, to, then I would suggest to you that uh, you will miss out. It's not the same when you listen to this on tape. Please. Uh, please. Having two more people hear me doesn't make me feel any better, eh? Like, this is not for my, my esteem or anything. But... These messages are life-changing, man. On the other hand, a lack of boldness, a lack of boldness spawns indifference. A lack of boldness spawns indifference. It spawns sophistication. I'll talk about that. It spawns Indulgence, it spawns uh, avoidance of conflict, avoidance of conflict. Guys, just remember this. Huh? 
a lack of boldness in my life. And boldness is not natural for me, man. Unfortunately, the day Adam hid, boldness fled. Boldness fled when Adam hid. And so it's not, not natural for me as a human. And very often, because I'm not living as a believer and I'm living as a human, boldness is something that I, it's not intrinsic, though it actually is. And I have to ask for it, pray for it, and we will at the end. But when I'm not bold, what happens is there's an indifference that comes over me with regard to the king and kingdom. And so instead of, once indifference settles in, I would rather indulge myself and get a little sophisticated. It is odd how boldness strips away sophistication. Boldness strips away sophistication. Boldness strips away sophistication. You no longer want to be sophisticated in the eyes of the world. I love what Jesus said about John. What did you go out there to see? What did you go out there to see? A man dressed in fine linen? Living in glass houses? Or did you go to see a man dressed in camel hide in the wilderness? What did you go out to see? And then it brings an avoidance of conflict. And an avoidance of conflict initially begins with person to person. But then the avoidance of conflict spills into the devil where you avoid conflicts with the devil, where there is no raising of your voice, where there is no commanding, where there is no rebuking, where there is no driving out, where there is no hatred against the things that David hated about the enemies of God. One of the things that I really like about David is he hated what God hated. And if you don't hate what God hates, you can never drive it out. Part of the reason we cannot talk is because we do not love or do not hate. Love and hate always speak. Part of the reason it is so difficult for us to talk, for us to speak, for us to command, for us to say, is because we do not love and do not hate. Because love always speaks, hate always speaks. Lukewarmness just swallows. you want to see Jesus disliking things, you should check out Matthew 23. You brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. He goes on like a rampage, man. Because he hated what was happening there. They would not go in themselves, nor would they allow anybody to go in. He was talking about the teachers and the uh, teachers of the law. The presence of boldness, on the other hand, man, this looks like some secondary school t-shirt. It's a lot of words scribble. This is not a good day in terms of pens. Don, I don't like these pens. Okay, guys, the presence of boldness. I don't know why my sister is sending me text messages letting me know what my mother is wearing. I think I can... <laughs> meaning like I do recognize her, you know. 
I hope Reba's watching on TV. I know what Amma looks like. Okay. It's not been that long. Guys, the, the presence of boldness. So the absence of boldness, we saw what happens. The presence of boldness. I love this. The presence of boldness births holy imagination. This is critical, guys. Births holy imagination. Everything starts with seeing. The bolder you are, the more you can catch um, what God is showing. It's like, it's like the iPhone when you have the photo that you take as a square or a rectangle and then you got that panoramic thing where it catches an entire swath. And that is what we are talking, talking about. The bolder I am with God, in God, the greater the imagination I have to see what God is showing. Boldness births holy imagination. And once it does that, it opens up realms, it opens up realms of faith, of authority, of hearing, of authority, and things that were restrained to you suddenly open up. Things that were restrained open. We'll pray for this, guys. We'll pray before we leave. That, Father, could you, could you, and the strange thing is, every time in the New Testament, anyone prayed for boldness, the Holy Spirit would turn up. The presence of boldness births holy imagination and opens up realms of hearing, faith, and authority previously restricted. Previously restricted. And obedience becomes much easier when you're bold because once you commit to boldness, obedience is easy. Once you decide, okay, I'm going to walk the plank, then you are, it's too late now. You should try it on Oculus, on a thing called uh, where you walk out on a plank and then it's too late. Ricky's plank. Any questions, guys? Any questions? So here's what we are saying, just so we know the connections. The violent take the kingdom by force. Violence requires a pursuit that is relentless, bulldogish. For that pursuit, you need boldness. To get that boldness, you need the Holy Spirit. Cry out for it, because in the New Testament, they would cry out for it often. And we will. And once you become bold, guys, it's always, Philippians 1.14 puts it this way, that once people see your boldness in Christ, it emboldens others. Paul put it this way, now that people in the Philippi have seen me in my chains, it has emboldened them to preach the gospel. Whenever I hear stories about young kids or young adults go do something crazy, I think to myself, ah, shucks, if they can do it, I must do it. I want to do something that... Sometimes it's out of sheer jealousy. Well, so be it if it's a motivating factor. I can do what, 
I can do anything you can do. Uh, you, I can. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's been a while. Yep. Yep. This week I was visiting with this lady who is, I mean, things in her life are falling apart. They really are. So she's telling me this story. And then she starts going on. And I've been telling her I've been praying for her. And you know, we just got to come through. And then she's going on about this. And like, like she's almost in tears. It's getting, it's getting worse. I just can't take it anymore. I don't know God, what God's doing. I can't, everything's going wrong. And so as she's sharing, I'm praying for her husband to be her. And Thank you so much. <laughs> Guys, how do we sustain boldness? How do we sustain boldness? Today we'll pray and God will give because he loves giving uh, boldness. Adam had it in like Trump's man before he hid. How do we sustain boldness? Like I said, bold, boldness fled when Adam hid. And it was replaced instead by self-preservation. Boldness fled when Adam hid, and it was replaced by self-preservation. He hid, and then boldness goes out of the way, and he starts uh, blaming. He starts um, displacing his responsibility onto somebody else. But the thing is, if you're born again, even though we don't necessarily believe it, think it, feel it, we have a spirit that is neither timid nor fearful. I have a spirit that in its DNA is neither timid nor fearful. It is actually a spirit that is of love, of power, and of self-control. It is just that most of my life is especially in dangerous situations or under threat or under duress. Most of my life is lived from my soul and my emotions. Jesus, Paul, some of these champions of the faith learned how to deal with every situation from the spirit man. It was not their emotions that met external circumstances first. It is something we train ourselves to become. One of the fastest ways to get there is to learn how to come to a place of peace in a crisis. How long does it take you? Eight minutes, three minutes, two minutes, 50 seconds, 20 seconds. When you are in a very difficult situation, crisis, 
what are you going to do? Usually it's fight, flight, or deceit. Those are our three options. Fight it, flailing at it, eh, with everything we got. Flight, run from it. Deceit. Uh, there's a fourth one. Uh, Self-medicate by escaping through some sin or the other. Just put your head in the sand or in that sin, and at least for the next eight hours it's gone, and then we can try it again. And yet, because I don't live out of my spirit man, I do not ever experience what it is to have a place of love, power, and self-control. Because everything I meet in my, with my emotional self, with my soul. What if we learned how to first respond from the spirit man? It is, it is a training. This is why Paul said, I, I, I don't box the air. I train myself. I discipline myself. We want a Christianity without responsibilities. Christ took on the responsibility. Now he wants us to walk with him and it is easy because his burden is light and his yoke is not heavy. To abide boldly, to abide boldly, once, once you enter boldness, how do you sustain it? To abide boldly, intentionally remain at the center of God's affection. Intentionally remain at the center of God's affection. If you can find God's affection every morning, you will find that you're bolder than you normally are. Intentionally remain at the center of God's affection. Jesus was intimately at the center of God's affection. So as a carpenter, he does not have a problem going to sleep at the stern of a boat in a storm. One of the things that really amazes me is that John was actually at the cross when all the other disciples had fled. Peter fled. Every one of those disciples was being threatened. They were all in the Garden of Gethsemane. All of them fled. But he's there at the cross. And Jesus is handing over his mother, earthly mother, to John saying, um, um, here, here's your mother. Mother, here's your son. And that transfer takes place because one disciple stayed behind. But he was intimately always found at the center of God's affection. It gives you a strange boldness to be at the crucifixion when others who were more impetuous and older fled. To abide boldly, once you pray for it, try and walk in righteousness because Proverbs 28.1 says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. <laughs> when you are in right standing with God, all these songs that we sing where it says he will never leave us nor forsake us become real because otherwise we think he may abandon us, which is not true. But righteousness gives you an odd swagger, man. As in I'm in right standing with God, both positionally and practically. And my God, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Even if you were not, nothing can separate you from his love. But when you are positionally and practically righteous, there is a boldness, man, that is so cool. I remember sitting in front of this guy who uh, was demonized and he was lashing out at people. But I knew that as I sat before him, it was almost like there was an invisible barrier that he would not cross, that he would not cross. 
And I'm thinking to myself, oh, shucks, you're really close. If he does anything, it'll really hurt. And then I'm thinking to myself, but oh, shucks, he ain't going to do it because there's this barrier because I know that the righteous can be as bold as a lion. And then there are other times where I keep a healthy distance because I'm not very sure of my righteousness that day, even though in Christ I have been made righteous. I'm talking about ways to sustain our boldness, eh? Boldness can be provoked by the actions of others. Boldness can be provoked by the actions of others in two different ways. In Jonathan's case, he's going up this hill and he says to his armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, hey, if they say, come, are you willing to just walk with me and go ahead? And this armor bearer says, whatever you want, I'll do. Sometimes when you walk with people that are bold, you get a boldness. You go with Jeevan to Nandigama, you'll feel bold. Because kids half your age are doing things that normal people wouldn't do. I think every person here must go to Nandigama once and should be taken without Jeevan to a village called Ponavram on your own. It'll put a strange boldness on you because you'll see these 9 and 10 year olds doing what you wouldn't dare to do. And then there's Esther. Sometimes you provoke boldness by saying, hey, if you think you are not going to do this, then let me tell you that someone else will arise in your place. Either step up and be bold or step behind and don't pretend to be queen. That's what Mordecai says to her. There's a provoking to boldness. Walk with people who are bold, man, and there will be a boldness that comes upon you. Everything in the kingdom is contagious because it is spirit to spirit, deep to deep. Everything that is good that comes from Christ in the kingdom is contagious. Walk with people who have that upon them because if you do not, it, you will not catch it. Many things in the kingdom are not taught, they are caught. That is why there's this term called impartation. This next one is a favorite horse that we flog at Acts 29. Boldness loses momentum when proclamation is subdued. Boldness loses momentum when proclamation is subdued. He who does not speak cannot be bold. He who does not speak cannot be bold. He who does not speak cannot be bold. You choose not to speak. It doesn't matter that you started out with oodles of boldness. It'll dry up. It needs oxygen, and it needs the oxygen of speaking. Why do you think these armies, doesn't matter whether it's Braveheart, or doesn't matter whether it's Gideon? Why do they go, and then start charging? Why does Gideon say to them, as you come, everyone, all the kids went silent. As you come down these hills, Gideon says to them, shout out, break those pitchers and shout in the name of God and for the sword of Gideon. And they come charging down. War cries were meant to bring out of you the boldness that was in you. Boldness loses momentum when proclamation is subdued. The thing is, guys, we think speaking is futile because we are speaking things into into situations and there's no visible shift and you think to yourself man this is so futile I've done it at least 18 times and nothing has happened and yet in Mark 11 verse 20 and 21 can you imagine what Peter is thinking he must have thought the same thing poor Jesus spoke to that fig tree seems to to have been a little upset because he was hungry went looking for figs didn't find figs 
This is one place where he erred a little and really got mad at the fig tree and cursed it and said, you shall never bear fruit again. And nothing's happening to the tree, eh? And they come back a day later and in verse 21 he says, Jesus, look at the tree that you just cursed. I'm telling you, man, with patience and with Every promise is inherited through patience and? Huh? Hebrews 10, 36. Faith and patience. Every promise is inherited through faith and patience. Immediacy, eventuality. Both have to collide. Both have to collide. You can't have one or the other. And once it starts happening, there's this momentum. It's like a juggernaut. It's like this snowball that starts on the top of the hill. Once it starts happening, it needs initial momentum. Once the, it starts, my God, man, you'll see it happening all over the place. Speak, speak, speak. Boldness is triggered by a greater cause. I love this. Boldness in the kingdom, boldness is triggered by a greater cause. You have to have something bigger, much, much bigger. In the King James, uh, you have David going up and down in 1 Samuel 27, 16 to, uh, sorry, 1 Samuel 17, 26 to 29. 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17, 26 to 29. I love this boy. Uh, let me read from the King James or the NKJV. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that kills him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride. I know the naughtiness of your heart. For you are here, you have come down here just to see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? That's how the NKJV and the KJV puts it. Is there not a cause? Boldness is triggered by you having a cause that is greater. You know what my cause is, guys? And my cause is not unique. It is the cause that every believer should have and that's why I'm saying it. My cause is just very simple. Christ and the body of Christ. There is no greater cause. Christ and the body of Christ. As in attaining, Jacob should press towards attaining the stature of Christ. And Jacob should press towards having the rest of us attain the stature of Christ. That is the end game. It is a far greater cause than anything else. It's a greater cause than Acts 29. It's a greater cause than healings and miracles. It's a greater cause than becoming a big church. It is a greater cause than all those things put together. Guess whose magnificent obsession that is? It is the obsession of Christ himself. If there is one obsession that God has, if there is one thing that dwells at the centrality of everything he is, it is the church. He thought of the church before there was marriage. Because he knew there would be a bridegroom and a bride. 
He thought of the church before there was earth. Because he says he already installed his king in Zion before Zion existed. You should ask God on the quiet day, Father, can you give me a desire to build with you? Because it's the only thing you're building. You're not building mansions. What is Christ still building? Only one thing, guys. The church. Please understand this. Christ isn't building mansions. Christ is building the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You call him Lord and Master. Join him in the only work that he is doing. God is inviting us, say, to greater causes. And the Spirit will give you boldness for lions, for bears, and then for Goliaths. So I want us to just ask the Holy Spirit to begin to give us that boldness today. In this age of resistance to the truth, when evil is called good, you know what the Holy Spirit wants? This, this really touched me, bothered me, um, made me feel bad. The Holy Spirit wants a people who will move from 1st Kings 18 who will move from 1st Kings 18:21 to Revelations 12:11 The Holy Spirit wants in this present time when truth is so resisted the Holy Spirit wants a people who will move from 1st Kings 18:21 I felt bad when he said this because it was almost like, ah, shucks, must really suck for you, Holy Spirit, when we behave this way. First Kings 18, 21. And here's what it says. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? You need a Bible, anybody? All of you have Bibles. Okay, First Kings 18, 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. This is the part that really bothers us, or bothers me. But the people said nothing. But the people said nothing. I'm not talking about silence right now. I'm just talking about indifference. I'm talking about not particularly this way or that way, just waiting to see how things will pan out. Will the lines fall in pleasant places? Let's just hedge our bets till we see which way this is going to go. And the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, boldness is different. I want you to just throw yourself, abandon yourself. And then go to Revelations 12, 11. Revelations 12, 11. And everything in that passage is about boldness, man. And this is what he's looking for. And I pray God that he finds it with us. Revelations 12, 11. They overcame or they triumphed over the enemy or the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. What a statement to make on a church, eh? If they buried all of us, or if we all got raptured, and they had to put up a plaque saying, here lies Acts 29, may they put this on it. Here lies Acts 29. <laughs> they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, by the word they spoke about him. 
And they did not love their lives even unto death. This is where the Holy Spirit wants to move us to. And once we begin this journey, it'll gather momentum, eh? But once we begin this journey, guys, permission will be given to affect the earth. Please understand why permission is important. It is not so that we are now a very powerful church that decrees things that should happen. No, we get to participate with God. You remember that story of the little boy going with his dad to paint a fence, right? What? How many haven't heard that? Okay. If my mom gets delayed, it's your fault. <laughs> little boy. Prodi day. Has time to go off to work with his dad. His dad is a painter. Paints fences. Dad says, son, you want to come with me? Son says, yes. So they both go. Dad decides he'll get his boy a small tin can of paint with a small brush. Mom packs a tiffin with sandwiches. And they both go off in the morning. He's, the little boy is dressed in his overalls and carrying this little tin can of paint. They go and they start painting the fence. The dad's doing his job like he does masterfully. Every now and then the son will look at his handiwork. It's the dad who's doing all the painting. But the son, without knowing, leans on the fence and looks at his handiwork and rubs sweat off his brow because he can't imagine that he's doing this amazing work. Little knowing that it's the dad who's doing it. Little knowing that he's just put his hand on wet paint and now there's a mark on that fence. The dad doesn't paint over the handprint. Because this boy is not his employee, this boy is his son. He lets the handprint stay. He lets the handprint stay. And then they sit down and they have lunch together. And the boy feels like, ah, oh, shucks, this is one of those days when he's really earned his lunch. And they eat and they talk like men. And then finally the evening comes and the entire fence is done. And the boy feels like it is the greatest accomplishment of his life. And they're both walking home. As the house nears, the boy begins to run runs. Why? Because he wants to tell his mom. And he tells his mom, 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 you won't believe what we did. I painted an entire fence. We had those sandwiches. Oh my God, what a difficult day. It's almost like when Derek does stuff after everyone else works. And so it's this, it's this, oh my God, mom, you won't believe it. And the dad watches the boy go tell the mom how hard he's worked and how he finished a white fence. And the dad doesn't stop to say, but son, it's not you who did the work, it's me who did the work. Why? Because the father enjoys the son taking glory for his work. We've been taught this lie that God doesn't want to share his glory with anyone else. He doesn't share his glory with idols, but he loves sharing his glory with his kids. He has absolutely no problem and Jacob takes the glory. He, he lives for Jacob taking his glory. Which dad doesn't? And Jacob knows how to take the glory and then throw it back right at him. This is how it's supposed to be, guys. I always think to myself, every time I do a good job, and I say, wow, Jacob, that is amazing preaching. Uh, <laughs> I glory in it for a moment or two, and then I remember the story, and I think to myself, wow, he's got no problems with it, but he did all the work. Let's move to Revelation 12, 11. Let's commit to that as a church. One of the marks of the Holy Spirit in the early church was the spirit of boldness. Acts chapter 1, 8. 
and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 to 31. And when they saw the threats that had been issued to them, they got together and they prayed and they cried out saying, Jesus, would you please stretch out your hands to do mighty signs and miracles? And would you give us boldness? Acts chapter 4, verse 29 to 31. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And what happened? Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts chapter 9, 29. Acts chapter 9, 29. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the, so it doesn't matter what the threat was. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected we now turn to the Gentiles. This was in hostile situations. Acts 18.26. Acts 18.26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him home and explained more to them the way of God. Acts chapter 19.8. Acts chapter 19 verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 28.31. It ends there where it says in Acts chapter 38, 21, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. In uh, Ephesians 6, 20, Paul actually says to the Ephesians, guys, could you pray for me? I'm in chains, but could you pray for me so that I might be bold in my witness? He says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, just like with uh, Karen, so that I'll fearlessly or boldly make the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Matthew 10.20, I love what Jesus said in Matthew 10.20. He says, hey guys, don't worry about when you're brought before governors and kings on my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the gentiles but when they arrest you do not worry about what to say or how to say it at that time you will be given what to say for it will not be you but the spirit that your father sent speaking through you <laughs> every time they prayed for boldness the holy spirit showed up may i say to you that he will show up today I was asking God, Father, could you give me this rara conclusion where I can really and get people going? And then I heard the Holy Spirit during worship saying, I'm already here, so it's okay. And so it's a shame that, not a shame, it's good that I won't have to go down that route. But it's like at home when I was planning this, it was going to reach a crescendo, but it's going to end on a whimper and then the Holy Spirit will take over. Second Corinthians 3.17 it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I know I'm taking the words out of context, but Jesus did it too. So, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Where the Lord is, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. So, can we just ask the Lord to uh, just give us boldness. So, here's what we'll do first. First, repent. Repent of uh, not seeing boldness as something that was important. Repent of Repent of our repent of our sluggishness. Repent of our repent of our half-hearted, half-baked pursuit. We'll start there, and then we'll go to 
calling out to him, saying, please, oh God, need this. And then we'll receive the spirit. Yeah? Sheldon, can you just pray, play the song that you guys would have sung? Awesome in this place. Just play it in the background. Guys, try not to sing the song. I just want it played in the background. But don't go down that song route. Because if you go down that song route, you'll miss out on this. Because we Christians are so finely tuned to songs that as soon as something starts playing, uh, we start singing. It's like Pavlov's reflex sometimes. So just play the song and then...